All right, how's it going tonight, everybody? We are Run the Real featuring Mike, Terry, Fox, and Dan. And we have returned with a vengeance. Yes, once more. Actually, no vengeance, just a review. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a review of vengeance. Ooh. Ooh. Once more. Yeah, what a twist. <laughs> It seems there's a common theme in a lot of these movies, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we are continuing on with our, um, I think it's supposed to be samurai movies, but I picked something that is not a samurai movie. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was allowed. We allowed it. It's close enough, I think. Yeah, close enough. I picked Lady Snowblood from 1973. One that I actually owned beforehand. hey. I think the past, like, four weeks, we've all just been watching Criterion Collection movies. <laughs> I think so. you're right, actually. Yeah. All these movies have been. <laughs> wow. Hashtag not sponsored. Sad. <laughs> it's the run the real, clean up the shelves category. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we gotta watch all these movies I've gotten, haven't watched. Oh, God, I could use that category. <laughs> I could, too. I've got, like, Four sitting over there I haven't watched yet that I can think of off the top of my head. Well, we may have picked an, our next category coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Clean out the shelf category. But anyways, yeah, I found this movie on Criterion's website, actually. I hadn't heard of it before. And then uh, TV slid into my DMs and was like, hey, Criterion's got a sale. <laughs> and I was like, what is Criterion, Terry? And he's like, just go look. And... I saw the box art for this one. I was like, that looks cool. The name's cool. I read it, and they were like, it's uh, about this girl who's on a vengeance from birth. She was pretty much um, conceived for vengeance okay, yeah. from her mother. And um, they said it was an inspiration for Kill Bill. I was like, I'm sold, but I didn't buy it. <laughs> I'm sold, kind of. <laughs> Even though it wasn't, well, it was on sale. I didn't buy it then. Flash forward two years, I finally watched it and uh, made you guys do it too. So I kind of <laughs> ham-fisted it into the samurai category. So I guess, what'd you guys think of Lady Snowblood? You know, I gotta say, I think out of all the samurai movies we've done so far, I think this was the most visually interesting of the bunch. Oh, really? I think that's what stuck out to me the most. I mean, just in comparison, you know, I mean, obviously it's not like, you know, a samurai movie, so to speak, but it's kind of from the same era and done in a similar style, despite the plot being different. Yeah. I'm trying, what else have we done? We did Lone Wolf and Cub. We did Sword of Doom. I'm kind of counting Harakiri as one of them. Okay. Which, I mean, it's not fair if a movie's in black and white necessarily, I guess, to compare the two. But I really felt like this one was a lot more vibrant and standout with its use of color and just like angles, different shots, some kind of unique movements. Yeah, it's got like handheld cam at some points too and everything. Yeah, there's a lot of variety in this one for sure. Zooms in and zooms out a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, it kind of it did remind me a lot of the last one, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. Just like visually, it feels like a very 70s movie to me. Yeah, with just, yeah, the, all the wacky camera, like maybe not wacky, but just like interesting out of the box camera movements and stuff like you're talking about. And like I, I, the blood is a little different too, I think. It's a little more present. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should say it's a little different. A little more flowing in this one, I'd say. <laughs> like, there's a lot in uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, but this one really just kind of <laughs> lets it all out. Literally, all of it. Which, like, I'm kind of curious, like, did this movie start that, or did it, like, start earlier? Because, I mean, there is a ton of that bright red blood just spraying everywhere. Well, this came out a year after Lone Wolf and Cub, so... And there could have been some before Lone Wolf, too. I feel like it's a lot bloodier, though. I mean, there it's like ninja assassin level, minus the CGI, like, blood in this movie. It looks good, though, too, because they're always, like, they're framing it so that it contrasts very well with whatever it's spraying on or flowing onto. <laughs> like the last scene in the snow. Oh, it's perfect. You knew they had to at some point. It's the visual name drop. Yep, yep. You're just waiting for when the, the snow and the blood will combine. And will there be a lady involved? Probably. They do that at the start, too. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it's snowing when she gets birthed. Die by the snow, born by the snow. Kills him with an umbrella. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. I did like that. That was a pretty cool little gimmick. Hiding the sword and the umbrella. feel like it was an inspiration that resounded for decades to come. Every fighting game ever. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Although she doesn't really like use the umbrella part as much, I don't feel like. She does it in the beginning, like when she blocks the knives with um, the like fans of the umbrella, I guess is what you'd call it. Besides that, she usually just kind of just pulls out her knife and is ready to go, which that's fine, I guess, yeah. It didn't seem very like effective when she did block the knives with the umbrellas. Like they're totally ripped on. It's like, oh, you got to get a new <laughs> one. Chewed it up. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, that thing's ruined. I guess it was kind of a distraction tool at the end of the movie. Used it to lure the gaze of the guards away. Oh, that's true. Yeah, which those guys totally played out like video game guards. Like, oh, <laughs> what's that? We better go investigate. <laughs> That whole end sequence was like that, where like they hear the gunshots in the party, like stop for a second, and then it's like, oh, the main character stayed <laughs> hidden for thirty seconds. Back to the party. <laughs> Must have been my imagination. Yeah. <laughs> I think what stood out to me the most was it felt like Tarantino got a lot of his style from this movie, just the way that they use music, the visuals, kind of the female protagonist especially for kill bill i think that's a fair comparison the chapter headings too yeah that was kind of cool i was i forgot that they did that in this but it does really you're right feel like tarantino just kind of like saw this and kind of it blew his mind or something because yeah it's really got the 70s music with it and everything it's got the blood and the violence the vengeance doesn't he use the song in kill bill too yeah Apparently, that was the main actress, Maiko Kaji, singing it. Really? I guess, yeah. That's cool. I did some reading on her, and it sounds like she kind of had a career outside of acting. Maybe even more successful as a, a singer. Whatever happened to those kind of movies where the, the main lead also had to sing the theme song? <laughs> Called musicals. <laughs> Wait, you're right. <laughs> Bam, there they are. <laughs> they still exist, you're right. You got me, dang. <laughs> I get what you're going for, though. <laughs> I think, well, what's that, uh, like, uh, Texas Ranger? Chuck Norris sings the, sings the intro song for that. Does he really? No, for Walker? 
Yeah. How does that go? When the eyes of a ranger for the unsuspecting stranger tells you (laughs) something's wrong and right. That's all I know from that. Beautiful. Man, that's why we do this. (laughs) I never knew that. There you go. I think that's pretty close to how he sounds with the song, too. That was pretty good, TV, I gotta say. (laughs) So I've got a question about this one that I'm curious. Do Do you guys think that she's supernatural in any way sounds like it Eh, no i can see it but this one's kind of based off of manga too so i think they probably wrote her to be that way like borderline she does a lot of like crazy leaps which i mean that's kind of the style of the times too but i was wondering if maybe that's like kind of the vibe they're going for with her was kind of a because they keep calling her a demon from hell and stuff like that it's possible, but I mean, it's very similar to Lone Wolf and Cub, where he's like, I'm on the demon way to hell. I'm no longer a mortal man. So nothing you do is going to phase me. It's very much in that same vein. So I, you could take it either way, I suppose, but the movie isn't like trying to set it up one way or the other. You uh, you think she's like Guts from Berserk, just too angry to die? Just too pissed off to let it go? Probably, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Not until her mission's done. Apparently they made a sequel. What is her mission now? I own the sequel. I, I meant to watch it before I watched, rewatched the first one, but alas, I uh, <laughs> was much too busy with other things like Godzilla movies, so... <laughs> uh, it's just the curl of the burl. No one is surprised. <laughs> I did kind of like how the movie portrays like how this kind of vendetta might not be that satisfying in the end, I guess. Because the first person she goes to kill, uh, while he may have been a form- formidable evil man and back then, is now a washed up, sickly old drunk who can't even like care for his own family and he's just... Yeah, it's like a very unsatisfying meetup, really. She just kills him and gets it done with. And then the second person kills herself rather than let her get the final blow. And the last person, I guess, is the true, like, she gets her chance. But even then, she thinks he's dead for the longest time. It's an interesting way to go about it, right? Because it's definitely not the traditional take on a revenge story where you're working up to the big bad guy. The last guy kind of falls into that stereotype a bit, but not really because, like you said, she gets denied something from each one of the people she's trying to kill. It makes it interesting in that regard because it's kind of showcasing how it's not always worth it in the end, especially for what happens um, to her and some of the people that she runs into in this. It's like she dedicated her whole life, like 20 years to this. And in this 20 years, all that her like villains besides one kind of feel like they were washed up and weren't all that. Like, I guess, you know, they're still bad there, but they're not, you know, final bosses. Like you said, they're not like the epic showdown of vengeance kind of thing. One of the, the lady is kind of. Yeah, she kills herself, though. She doesn't even let her get the final blow. It's hey, so... I don't know if she kills herself. I got the impression that the other bad guy like had her hung. In an effort to conceal his own identity. Was there anybody else there, though? 
Well, that's what I mean. Like, I think she was like delayed getting to the hiding spot of the Iron Lady, and I think that the main, the the, the other bad guy that had like the mafia had his dudes come in and stage a suicide and then, you know, cheese it. I mean, the last guy, he has a lot of connections with, like, the government and stuff, so I guess maybe he could have been, like, the one pulling the strings with the police or the whatever. So, I, I mean, it could be. I don't know. I never really thought of it. I thought he faked his death for everybody. His son didn't even know. Yeah, I figured they all thought he was dead, and then he just... uh rebuilt himself up and got into the government and everything. And I was thinking one of the goons had a line about, like, that lady, or, like, her, whatever, her death was to conceal the existence of the other guy, since they were both, like, mafia people. Oh, maybe. Might have missed it. That might have been a bit deep for this movie. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it is a bloody action movie at its core. <laughs> There's no, like, reveal, I guess, to say that that's what happened. I feel like maybe this movie would probably tell us like a twist kind of thing. Like the bad guy be like, I killed her so you couldn't. And you know, like, so you she wouldn't spill the beans. Ah, the monologue. How'd you guys feel about her training with that old guy putting her in the... <laughs> in the barrel. The barrel and then kicking her down the thing. Kicking her in the pond. <laughs> now, I was kind of confused, you know, like, is that not a thing kids just do for fun? <laughs> what roll down hills with barrels yeah you know like you're a kid you're at the river you get inside a little tired and you have somebody push you down the hill you know have you done that before fox i was always too big to fit inside <laughs> tire, but it's not very pleasant i've seen people do it and i was like yeah i'm not doing that I saw what happened to that kid. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've never done it, but I can only, I don't really know what kind of training you could get out of it besides, like, I guess getting your bearings very quickly after something like that. Yeah. The right moment to spring out so you don't literally get sliced in half because that dude was ready to murder her. Getting beaten battered so she's used to it, too. I did like those training montages. The The barrel stuff was weird, I thought, but like the sword fighting when he had like the rope on her and so like she couldn't run away and that kind of thing. I thought that was all kind of cool. That was a good scene. I kind of wish it would have gone on longer, though, actually. I kind of honestly wish this movie would have been in chronological order with her training at the beginning and then eventually fighting, I guess. I don't know. That's kind of what I complained about in the last one a little bit was the origin story in uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, but... It did feel a little, like, jumbled to me in this, where they were just jumping back and forth. Eh, I don't know. I think it works fine enough. I kind of wish it had followed the plot structure of Ninja Assassin. With, like, you know, the intro action scene, we establish the hero, we establish he's a badass, whatever, you know, get his call to action in. And then we make the first part of the second act his, like, whole long training sequence. Knock out the backstory all at once. And then back to the future. But that's kind of a nitpick, I guess. Just give us like one extended long training montage. I could have used, like, you know, like a more of a relationship building between the her and her master or whatever. And because we, we see the aunt, like she's still around. I don't know what happened to the. Oh, no, I do. He was still there. He, he, he like spilled the beans about her whole vengeance pact. But <laughs> yeah, he told the uh, the manga artist guy. Yeah, the newspaper guy. Yeah, it was kind of interesting how she became like a celebrity from the uh, the newspaper guy getting the story out there, just in a way to bring out the final boss. Which I, I feel like he's 
Neither him or the lady had to do still. They didn't have to come out because of the story. <laughs> they could have stayed hidden and been fine. It wasn't to get the final boss. It was to get the lady. Yeah. Forgot. I messed that up. Very good. It's, it kind of all blends together. <laughs> well, the lady, like, kind of, I, like that one's fine. Like, I get it. Like, she's just, she's going to do the preemptive strike kind of thing, I guess. But the guy who's already faked his death. Why even bother re-revealing yourself to your like your son? I don't understand. <laughs> so it's not like he like has like a heartfelt reunion with him or anything, you know. Just like kind of feels like he reveals himself just so we can have the twist at the end. I guess that he's the uh, not the end, but the twist that the manga artist is actually son of the big evil villain. That's the only reason he revealed himself. But there was another twist. They killed him, but he was just wearing a very convincing mask. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that was like a Mission Impossible mask. That was, was like 1990s technology. How did they get a mask <laughs> like that way back in the Meiji era? It's convincing for one scene, and then they cut away and they cut back and they're peeling off the mask, and it's like, oh, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> this mask doesn't quite <laughs> look right. Oh, that was kind of funny. It's like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> they could have just like put a guy in a fake mustache, honestly. Like, that's what I thought they were doing at first, was because they show, like, the, the follicles of the, the hair, and I was like, oh, that looks like it's a fake mustache. They just, like, beard this guy up to make him look like it, but no, it's a full <laughs> mask. I thought that they were going to end it on that cliffhanger, and then the second movie would be her going for um the final boss, essentially. Kind of like how Kill Bill did it. That would have been kind of cool. I just better give him a little more buildup, I think. Like, I like the idea of him faking his death, I guess. You know, I think it's kind of cool. But I also kind of just like, I guess they don't, none of them really get that much of a buildup. They have, like, their evil scene altogether. But it would have been nice to have one, like, head honcho that they wanted to go after. Like, make it reveal who's, like, the big boss, you know, because you don't really get that vibe from any of them. I guess they kind of gave us, like, I mean, they did. They gave us a flashback to the why of the vengeance, and it seemed kind of like a, spontaneous spur of the moment these four con artists just oh shoot we gotta cover up our crime here crap uh <laughs> somebody kill him quick well they were tying it into the the political unrest and like the rebellions where they're killing government officials and all that so they were just playing into that to make a quick buck right right i mean like you know like obviously it wasn't like a big premeditated, we're going to lure this guy here and murder his whole family. Uh, it was like he just happened yeah. to show up and they were like, oh, we got to gotta keep the ruse going. So we better uh, better murder this guy. I got a school teacher here. <laughs> I kind of wish that they would have done more with Yuki's character in this one because it's it's an interesting premise, right? She's inherited the vengeance from her mom. She didn't even know her parents because um, her dad was killed way before she was born. And then her mom died giving birth to her. So she's only been told about what happened and that she is supposed to avenge her mom and dad. But I, I kind of wish they would have played more on that because it's not really like her hero's journey, essentially, in that aspect. It's like she could choose not to do it if she didn't want to and just do her own thing, right? 
And I wish they would have played with that some in this. Kind of give Yuki more of a character besides just being this Lady Snowblood assassin going around and murdering everybody. Because she doesn't really have much of a character in this film. And I think it would have been a lot more interesting if they would have played around with that idea. Because comparing it to Lone Wolf and Cub, Ito Ogami is much more interesting as a main character than um, Yuki Kashima is in this film. And I think that hurts the film a little bit. I don't know if they are that much different, honestly. I, I mean, they're both just vengeful people walking the path of vengeance or whatever. Like, I mean, he has a kid, I guess, which kind of sets him apart, but at least in the first one, he doesn't really do anything with him. Well, and he's he's a samurai, too, and has this, like, samurai honor and the honor of his clan. And he used to be one of the, like, top guys in the shogunate or whatever since he was the executioner. So he's got all this backstory, and he's more of an active role. Like, it's his journey in that, whereas in this movie, she's inherited all this stuff. It's not who she is. It's who her parents were. It's who they made her. Yeah, it, and it, that's a big deal in Japan. Like the whole familial honor thing and honor of your clan and your family and stuff. So I wish they would have tapped more into it because this would have been a really interesting take on that. And combining that with the like the semi-criticism on revenge that it goes for in the movie, I think would have been a really interesting way to take it and look at like how it affects her as a character. I feel like they're in a weird place. I mean, it's like a low-budget movie, you know? But you're right. She is in this, like, she's inherited everything from her parents, and she has this family honor thing to uphold, which, like, maybe she could kind of be, like, Guts and Berserk and not have, you know, much of a character besides just being angry all the time. But then that narrator comes in and... He messes it up. The narrator's got to come in and be like, oh, yeah, she loves children. Oh, yeah, she's got a ton of empathy. You know, I mean, she's angry, but she loves people. Obviously, we never see her do these things, but I'm the yeah. narrator, so it must be true. <laughs> and they kind of touch on it a little, barely. Like, when she does she meet the manga... the children and did not react. <laughs> no, that's not... I'm talking about when like, the manga artist... Uh, I got the vibe that like, after she met the manga artist, got frustrated with him, and then she, like, killed the next person, him and her were kind of having, like, a thing. She was settling down until the final boss shows up. So there is some stuff there, but they really, yeah, you're right, they don't spend a lot of time, like, showing a contrast. It doesn't really develop her character any or give her much characterization, even when they do that, though. I'll, maybe comparing it to Lone Wolf and Cub isn't, well, no, 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 it is. They're very similar films. They're just, they take it in two different ways with this. And I think I prefer Lone Wolf and Cub's way of doing it better than this one. Not that this is bad by any means. I just wish they would have given me a little bit more out of my movie since the action stuff was was pretty cool to look at, though I do have a criticism of that once we get 
off at this point. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think they're honestly about the same for me, but like I just I was so bored with the origin story anyways in the last one, so Oh, that's right. You you were. I forgot. <laughs> so I wasn't really invested in his plight anyways, like at least he's the active participant in that one, right? So that that inherently makes it more interesting. At least I think it makes it more interesting. I think it's kind of interesting though that it is like uh, literally, they call her a demon. She was born with a singular purpose. Like, I think that's kind of a, a strange concept that I don't really see very often, like, where she's inherited this. I do think they could have explored that better, though. Like, so her questioning maybe why she's doing this exactly or something. Maybe make some sort of critique about the the culture or something, I guess. I don't know, but they don't really ever go into it. It would have been, it would have been the perfect vessel, since that is a big deal in Japanese culture. So it would have been cool to see some ex- more exploration or commentary on that. In the end, this is another exploitation movie. Like, yeah, they don't really yeah. want to go that deep <laughs> into things. Well, what's your uh, what's your critique with the action? Let's hear it. I don't think the action's that good in this movie, actually. It's definitely slow and more methodical. Well, and that's not a problem, right? Because you can look at, like, Harakiri that we did a few weeks ago. That's very slow and methodical in the action department, and it's very good. But this one, I didn't like how they filmed a lot of the action. It was very hard to follow and see who's doing what for most of it. Like you guys mentioned, there's lots of zoom it, zooming around and shaking the cam handheld, and it it makes it really hard to follow the action, and I don't like that very much. I like to actually see what's going on. It doesn't do that all the time in this. Like that opening sequence was really cool. They filmed it to where you can actually see what's going on without a lot of shaky cam and stuff. So, But a lot of it, it's like, especially when they get into the interior of buildings, they like, it's all up in your face and you can't tell what's happening a lot of the time. And I... Since it's an exploitation action film, I wanted to actually see what was going on because I love that they use, like, <laughs> incredulous amounts of blood in this film, <laughs> like Ninja Assassin did um, when that came out. Like, I love it. it. It's cool. It goes for the style with that, which not a lot of films do that. So I like when they, when they do do that. And I just wish the action would have been filmed more consistently throughout this film. What does Mad Mike think? This was his pick. Where are you at, Mad Mike? Um, I mean, I didn't have near as many problems as what Dan's having here with it. I kind of expected it to be this way. Kind of like a lower budget, you know, they're still figuring it out and getting the style. And I would say this movie does have style to it quite a bit. Um, and it's unique. But honestly, my favorite scene in this movie wasn't even the action. It was when those cops were um, walking very menacingly to the <laughs> manga artist's house. <laughs> like the tunes were playing in the background. Yeah, and then it would cut to the manga guy, and he's like writing. It cuts back to them, and they're just still trucking along. I love that, and... You know, I saw that and I was like, man, Tarantino ripped this style directly from this movie because <laughs> it had music you would not expect in that scene. It's ridiculous and over the top. And that's like 
all of the style in his movies a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my favorite scene of this movie. And I've tried to been, find it on YouTube, but I can't. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I don't really know what I should be searching for, but. <laughs> yeah, I think I kind of agree with you a little bit on the action. Like, I think some parts are definitely better than others. It does get a little clunky, but I do kind of give that to the times a little bit too. Like, they're still like experimenting. That was the 70s, man. I don't buy that as an excuse when you've got Harry Carey and stuff that did it better years before this came out. So, yeah, but they wanted to be new, fresh. They were trying something new. It's a new decade. This is a totally different style. To, to me, I don't get how you could just go shake the camera up in someone's face and like watch that side by side with somebody who's set the camera there and it's got the wide angle on the people and be like oh this is definitely better we should do this i think you're being too harsh on this one though dan this isn't supposed to be (laughs) those things i do think this was like a b-grade film and this was like Japanese action B movie. (laughs) But I don't know. I feel like that's maybe a little too harsh for them because they're still figuring it out. This is supposed to be a movie made from a graphic novel. So they're trying to get some of that style and feel into the movie, I think. And if you watch the second Lone Wolf and Cub, I mean, they do all these weird camera angles with it too. In fact, there's one shot where the camera flips 360 multiple times like not oh, around in a circle no. they like are literally turning the camera in a circle while you're watching it <laughs> and it's zooming in and that was a year before this came out so i think maybe it's a thing of the times for this a lot of these 70s movies are a lot like this you know yeah but you can still look back and be like well they sh- they shouldn't have done that but <laughs> yeah you can look back and say that but just don't be so harsh on them. They're trying, and this isn't the worst shaky cam I've ever seen. No, no, this ain't Elysium, that's for sure. Um. <laughs> I was kind of under the impression, too, that these people didn't really know how to fight super well with the props they were given. I mean, you said it at the beginning, uh, the girl who plays Lady Snowblood, this isn't her main profession anyways, necessarily. So Yeah, I got that vibe too, actually. I think it was like her first foray into action, but I know she had several after. I don't know, but I will say that I think she did a great job in this. She's probably the best actress or actor in the whole film. Even though she didn't have like a lot of characterization or anything, she plays the part very well. I think Mad Mike has a point, though. I I think some of the weird camera movements might be uh, to compensate for... She's a good actress, but I I don't know, you know, like, how comfortable she is doing fight scenes compared to some of the other samurai actors we've seen. That opening sequence, though, was so good. Like, it was shot so much better than most of the action in the rest of this. So it's like, it's confusing to me why they wouldn't just do stuff like that the whole time. That and the story were like, well, not the story, but wishing they would have characterized Yuki more were like my main issues with this. The rest of it I liked quite a bit. Yeah, I think she does really good in the part. Like with her, like her stares and stuff, you can kind of just feel like there's like that rage behind the eyes kind of thing. It's really cool. She just like has the wide eye just like glaring down people. 
She's very scary and menacing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> hmm, well, do we have anything else we want to touch on in this one? I think my big, I don't know if I should call it a criticism, or if I should say maybe it's my defense of criticisms, is that I feel like knowing that Kill Bill was inspired by this film going into it, I was expecting a lot more, <laughs> you know, some more character development, some bigger fight scenes, the whole build it up to the final boss thing. And I feel like all these critiques we've had, I, I pretty much had because of my prior bias from seeing the Kill Bill movies before this. And I feel a little bad about it. Like, you know, I, I feel like Tarantino built on it and did maybe even all the concepts in this movie better. You know, decades later, obviously, with... I'd agree with that. I think he, he saw what this did and, like, just improved upon it in every way. That that was in my mind, too, when I watched it the first time. I was like, oh, I mean, like, I can see the inspirations, but, yeah, it's just not as finely tuned as Kill Bill. It's like the prototype, really. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. I think it is kind of cool, though, from, like, a historical, get the, like, get the, like inside the director's head kind of mindset, like a... A neat look at the stripped down, bare bones version. It's cool, I think, from that angle. I'd agree with that. I always like looking back and seeing the inspiration behind um, directors, right? Especially when they're good like Tarantino is. Mike's right. Yeah, the style of Tarantino. Like, it's pretty obvious once you watch this, like, wow, like, yeah, the 70s tunes he's always got going on and like. Just, yeah, the, the blood and the action. It's just like, wow, Tarantino really did love this, huh? <laughs> well, it's good. It's good. He probably didn't hadn't seen anything like it when he did watch it. And we know he likes the exploitation grindhouse stuff quite a bit, so. Well, are we ready for some overall presentation then? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. Hit him with the scale. So we got a scale here. It's true. We've got it, and I'm about to tell you. I'm about to lay it down. So it goes from burn it, pass, watch it, or buy it in that order. We all give a little spiel of what we think, and then we average it out at the end. So I feel like I've made the same joke at the end of every episode about, will this one make the cut? So I'm just going to say that again. Will this one make the cut? <laughs> or will we think it's snow, big deal? Oh, <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> but of course before we start i've got a no I've got a little yarn to spin oh good another tv samurai yarn there was a, a story of a of a man who was born of vengeance mm. he heard about three other hosts podcast hosts who were always claiming they wanted to go first. And you know what? <laughs> this guy had enough. We'll call him M. Oh. M. M went looking around, what that trying to track for. down <laughs> the rest of these so-called hosts. And he went down and found one washed up by the beach drunk. And he struck him down. He found another one, confronted him. The host ran away. <laughs> and rather decided to end it himself than let M take him out. <laughs> and the last one shows up in his glory, a high-held position. But even he can't face the wrath of M. 
and falls before his might. In the end, I guess M got his wish and got to go first. <laughs> Who's who in this tale here? Who's the drunk I think we beach? all know who M is. <laughs> <laughs> That's not who I asked, Fox. But... Oh. Look, I'm not saying this story is based off of truth or anything, but it really inspired me and really made me think. And so I think it's only right that we let, you know, because M, Mike, it's kind of similar. Let's let Mike go first this time <laughs> before he comes after us with his wrath. An interesting tale. For sure. But I will go first as usual. Uh, (laughs) I've always been kind of interested to watch this one, and I'm glad I finally did. I wasn't blown away by this movie by any means, but I did like the style, and it was interesting to see um, kind of where Tarantino got a lot of his inspiration. And you can tell he got a lot of it from this movie. And I like that. I really like the scene of the guys walking to the manga guy's house. That was really fun to watch. I don't know. It it stuck with me. And if you know where that scene is on YouTube, please message it to us. And uh, (laughs) I'm going to save it. I'm going to give this one a watch it. It definitely could have been better. Um, It didn't blow me away, but I did enjoy watching it. It was fun uh, to see the inspiration that Tarantino got from this one because I'm a huge Tarantino fan. So I like it. I like the style. If you're interested in that, give it a watch. You know, if you look really closely into the waveform of the original recordings, you can <laughs> see that M has airbrushed himself into the waveforms. What? Yep. <laughs> I don't know where he's going with this. Yes, I have. Just another little Easter egg from this mysterious character. <laughs> but in all seriousness, no, this, you know, I think I'm with Mad Mike in a lot of ways on this one, totally unrelated to the character M. This movie didn't blow me away. But that said, it was a good time. There's a lot of really cool scenes, and I don't think they're the action scenes. It's so many other little moments that are really tense or really cool and amusing because they've got a wicked, unorthodox soundtrack. I think from a like historical perspective this movie's pretty wild just to see what inspired tarantino and i'm sure numerous other things i feel like every umbrella character in a fighting game is based off lady snowblood and i think that makes this movie a watch pretty easily i'm not sure i would buy it and watch it many times over but it's easily worth a watch once or twice if only to familiarize yourself with the root of a lot of really cool things being done today yeah this does kind of feel like the prototype of things that yeah people have just kept improving upon since um but there's still a lot of salt stuff in this i think um yeah the style's really cool the music's got that really like 70s kind of jazzy funky vibe to it the blood looks really good and there's some pretty cool shots yeah like the ending shot of her in the snow bleeding out like it, it looks really good some of the time at least I really do like in these like 70s vibed movies. I don't know. There's something like fun and raw about it, I guess, that I, I tend to enjoy. But overall, I think I'm going to give it a watch. It. I don't think it's uh, like amazing, but I think it's good. I do agree with uh, what Dan was saying earlier about some of the fights maybe were shot better than others. And yeah, the, the characterization, is, they try some stuff there, but I don't think that was really their focus. And I think maybe a little more focus in that aspect might have helped it. So. I think I'll give it a watch. It's still definitely worth watching. It's an entertaining movie. 
and it's cool, yeah, to see the historical effects that it has wrought. Yeah, following up what Terry said, there's a lot of awesome shots in this film. Like, the the beginning action sequence is really cool. Um, when she's out hunting down the first guy and drags him out near the sea, it looks so good. There's a lot of a lot of shots, a lot of really neat set pieces in this. The the last place at the masquerade, totally was not expecting that, but it it's really cool and it's unique because I wasn't expecting to see something like that in one of these films. So there's a lot of really cool set pieces that were shot and framed very well with the main character in this, which it bogs my mind why some of the action sequences are filmed like they are because you just can't tell what's going on and it's a shame because the style of this film is great i love how much blood they use in this and how it looks on the actors like wardrobe or in the environment that they're in it really stands out and adds a lot of punch to the film which is cool to see I do think that it would have benefited a lot from actually exploring the character of Yuki some, because like Lone Wolf and Cub, I think it would have given you more to latch on to with her, which would have been nice to have, I think. Would have put it a cut above the rest, ah. <laughs> I think, because I do prefer Lone Wolf and Cub to this, but that's not to say this is bad by any means. I do think that this one is worth a watch for sure. I'm glad I watched it. If you like Tarantino, I think you'll like this one quite a bit too because you can see how he gets... Well, there's all these types of films like Lone Wolf and Cub and this one, but especially this one he gets a lot of his style from. And if you're a big fan of Kill Bill, you'll probably like this too. So that's a watch from me as well. There you have it. Watch it's across the board. Oh, yeah. Lady Snowblood, run the reel certified as a watch it. We've done it. We've all agreed on it. Thanks for letting me put in a non-samurai movie. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Good. Yeah. It did feel like it fit in. Like, you know, the vibe really if it matched all the rest of the movies we watched, I feel like. Pretty so. much, yeah. <laughs> so for next week, we're actually going to be taking a little brief divergence from our Samurai series. Uh, Fox has got something called a vacation he's going on or something. So we didn't want to end it without him. So we're going to do a one-off. We're going to do From Beyond. So look forward to that next week. And then the week after that, we'll go back to our Samurai movies. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so if any of you listeners have any thoughts or uh, opinions on the review or the movies, you can hit us up at Run the Real. You can find it on Facebook or Twitter, or you can email us at runtherealpodcast.gmail.com. We want to know what you think of Lady Snowblood. Do you agree yeah. with us? Do you disagree? Is it better than we thought? Is it worse than we thought? We want to know it all. Let us know. All right. Well, thanks for listening to us tonight, everybody. We really appreciate it. This is Run The Real, signing off. Mm-hmm.